But good morning, church. Uh, that song, <clears throat> that last song, obviously both the songs, you know, all the songs that, that, uh, that we sing in, in worship are, are great. It's uh, interesting. It's like, you know, preparing to come up here and then it's always the last song <laughs> that really, you know, I gravitate to even more so and just the Lord just reveals things. But uh, it's like Michelle said, you know, uh, the, at the name of Jesus Christ, right? The Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that, that he is Lord. And there's only one name under heaven which men and women can be saved. And it is the name Jesus Christ. It is the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, the God-man, 100% God, 100% man, came to the Jewish people. He's Jewish himself. He is the Messiah, not only of uh, the Jews, but of the Gentiles as well. And uh, just... To encourage you this morning, I I was up early and, um, you know, I was hearing a message and we all are familiar with what the unpardonable sin is, correct? If you haven't heard about that, if you're not familiar, if you need to be brushed up on it, it's basically someone who lives a lifestyle that continuously goes against the truth of the Holy Spirit. The truth is revealed and over and over, however long it may be, whatever that lifetime looks like for that individual. But it's a continual rebellion against the, 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 revolu- the, the, the revealing of truth through the Holy Spirit. And that's the only thing that's unpardonable. So, you know, I know as we're going through the book of James, it, 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 it can beat you up. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're learning and we're being reminded that we must be, you know, uh, slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to get angry. And then when you look at yourself up against Scripture, it's like, man, how often do I really do that? And, uh, you know, it can get wearisome. But be encouraged that the, the, the teachings are there, the, these principles are there to encourage us, to point us in the right direction, to show us what we should be doing and what we should expect to be manifested in us as we continue walking with the Lord, amen, what he's going to do within us. And so as long as you're not finding yourself in that category where you're continually rebelling against the Lord, where it's like there's no uh, conviction anymore, you're not responding to it, there's no uh, repentance then that's the only thing that's that's uh, that's unpardonable. Everything else, if you fall, if you stumble, the Bible says the righteous man uh, or woman uh, may fall seven times but get back up. But one calamity is enough to overthrow the wicked. So, um, you know, just be encouraged that continue on in fighting the good fight. Amen. This morning, uh, we find ourselves uh, beginning the book of uh, James chapter 2. Um We'll be in verses 1 through 7 this morning, so uh, when you get there, if you could, uh, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Uh, once again, we're in James chapter 2, and we'll be reading uh, down from verses 1 through 7. Uh, this message is titled, The Sin of Partiality. I'll go ahead and read our passage this morning, and we'll pray and uh, get into the Word. So it says, My brothers, show no partiality. As you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wears a gold ring and fine clothes comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, 
You sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or you sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Let's go ahead and pray. Lord God, we thank you for uh, your mercy and your grace. Thank you for the miracle of waking us up this morning and watching, uh, watching over us as we slept last night. Thank you for all of our faculties and being able to you know, cognitively think properly. Thank you for our organs working. Thank you for the breath in our lungs. Lord, thank you for the miracle of salvation that comes to every single person that's willing to receive. Thank you for the miracle of responding to that conviction. It's so important that we respond to that. And so now as we uh, anticipate hearing from you through your word, may you speak to our hearts. May you give us your anointing that we may be able to rightfully divide your word. Father, give us the ability to apply these principles to our lives. May we leave this building changed. May we not leave here the same way we came in, but may we be renewed in, in our hearts and our spirits. And may we just praise you all the more and love you more and love people all the more, understanding that this is what you call us to do as servants of you, the Most High God. So we thank you and we praise you. It's in Jesus Christ's mighty name that we pray. Amen. All right. So last week, just a quick recap, uh, we were, again, challenged. I will say challenged because it, it is challenging, right? I think that's a big thing with just living the Christian life, being uh, authentic in your walk with the Lord is that it's a challenge. And that I, I see that more and more as I, I get older and I, I mature day by day in the Lord, that that's, that's what keeps a lot of people from really going hard after Christ is that it takes effort, it takes effort on our part. It, it, the, the, the word says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what I get out of that is it's every fiber of my being that I need to immerse into God, into Jesus Christ. That's the, that whole full surrender, right? When we fully surrender our lives over to him, it is then and only then that we will begin to see the manifestation of Jesus Christ in our lives for real. I'm talking beyond a book knowledge. I'm talking beyond just memorizing scripture or saying, yes, I identify with that. I'm talking about that true communion, that true movement of the Holy Spirit in your life. It happens when we surrender. And that surrender takes effort, right? Because in our natural man, our natural woman, it's so easy to just go with the natural thing. The natural inclination is to be lazy, to put absolutely no effort forth. To have someone else do it. But you see, that's the interesting and the, the unique thing about the Christian walk is it's very individual in the sense that, that, that Father God has no grandchildren. <laughs> you cannot piggyback off your mommy and daddy's salvation. You can't piggyback off your brother and sisters, your aunts, your uncles. Jesus has to be very personable and real to you. There has to be that raw, real encounter. Um, like that song was talking about, ver, uh, you know, verses in there talking about, I'm not ashamed to show you my flaws. You know them all. We got to have those kind of moments with the Lord. Amen. 
If we're unwilling to be raw before him when no one's around, then we're definitely not going to open up our mouths when we're in public about him and his greatness and his mercy and his grace to us. So last week, again, we were encouraged and challenged to be doers of the word, not merely hearers. That if we fail to apply the word of God to our daily lives, that we are only deceiving ourselves. And that's what I mean about the, the, the word stinging. <laughs> the word just, just, just pricking, getting right to the point, cutting through all the fluff and getting to the heart of the matter. We are to be doers of the word, not merely hearers, right? When we come to uh, you know, a Sunday service or wherever you fellowship at, that is but merely the first part of the, the puzzle, so to speak, right? You get the game plan, but it's once you leave the building, it's once you leave the fellowship of the saints that you know the, the the real work starts to starts to happen because we have to begin to apply these principles that we hear on Sundays or at you know our, our worship services and 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 apply these daily to our lives that's where we see the real work happening then we were shown two practical ways last week of how we can actually apply these principles to our lives see because it's one thing to say apply God's word and i think that's another place where a lot of christians get hung up right it's like, I hear apply, 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 but show me how I actually apply the principles of God to my life. Well, we, we, we're so gracious to have James pen this for us. And, and he told us that we are called to care for orphans and widows. Basically, anyone who's in a position, a compromising position, position that need help, right? Kind of like the, the man that was beat up on the side of the road and, and the Samaritan of all people came to, the, to that man's aid. That was, a, that was a type of Christ, as we saw, because uh, the priests and the Levites, the ones that had all the head knowledge, Right. They were supposed to be the ones that were leading spiritually the people of Israel. And they saw the Samaritan and they just they moved to the other side of the road. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. They saw the man, the Jew that was hurt, and they moved to the side of the road. It's their own people. They still didn't even care. But it, it took it took a half breed, someone that was considered less than a dog. And he had enough compassion and heart to bandage that man up, put him on his donkey and take him to an inn. But we are called to, to, to care for orphans and widows while at the same time not allowing the culture of the world to stain us, meaning not allow our lives and our lifestyles to be influenced by the world around us, the world culture that we find ourselves in the middle of, right? You know just as well as I do how difficult and how challenging it is on a daily basis to engage with people in a world where Jesus Christ is not exalted, where everything else is exalted but him, where self is exalted, where, where seeking after the things of the world is highly praised, not seeking after the things of the Spirit. So we are supposed to serve those around us that are less fortunate than us, and at the same time not allowing um, you know, BET, MTV, HDTV, all those things to, to so saturate our lives that we're immersed in that rather than being immersed in Jesus Christ himself. That is how we apply these principles to our daily life. And that is a perfect picture that completely relates to our text this morning. And, and I'm so encouraged by the book of James, because again, as the Lord was showing me this before we got into this book, you know, uh, a couple months back or however long ago it was, this was the, the main thing that the Lord was revealing to me is this is practical application for daily living. The book of James shows us 
how we can actually live this out. Obviously, it's, it's under the power and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We can't do it in and of ourselves apart from the Lord. But when we're, again, uh, submissive and obedient when we're surrendered to the Lord, he gives you and I the authority. We are ordained to be able to do these things. And we have the power within us through the power of the Holy Spirit to live out these principles. So let's look at our few main points, our three main points we have this morning. And the first one is this. Followers of Jesus Christ, the church, it's you and I, that's any Jewish man or woman that has now received the Messiah as their own. Any follower of Jesus should not show partiality to the wealthy of the world. That may seem like a a, a simple thing. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. It may seem like it's just, it's a no-brainer, but it's in the text for a reason. It's in the text because this was such a struggle for people not only in that day and age, but in our day and age as well. You see, it blows my mind how perfect the Word of God is. You see, the Bible's teachings and principles are eternal. And what I mean by that is, again, no matter what period of history one lives in, this principle right here applies. This applies to people way back then, centuries ago, and it applies to us today. Showing no partiality to the wealthy over the poor. When you think about it, it's bad enough that secular society abides by this. (laughs) This is for the most part, right? Uh, I know that there are groups of people that that, that they don't live by that and they're not saved. And, and, you know, praise God, one day hopefully they'll be convicted and they'll they'll be saved because uh, that that is a good thing that they're living by. But it's not what they need for salvation. But the large majority of the world lives by this principle. We esteem the wealthy and we despise the poor. The culture of the world judges and makes presumptions about a person based on their outer appearance, right? Look look at the Western culture. Look at our culture that we live in. So much is emphasized on what someone looks like that rarely do we take the time to get to know who the inner person, the man or woman is. Who are they really? Who is their character? We go off of, they look a certain way. They drive a certain car. They present themselves in a certain way, so they must be esteemed. And then we see other people that they don't look that appealing. They may not smell that appealing. They may not have all of the, the trinkets and the toys and the things of the world that say you're a success. And we look at those people and we pass a judgment upon them. Presumption based on what they look like. The sad thing is, the world lives by that. Somehow, some way, this same mentality has begun to creep its way into the church. And this cannot be tolerated. This is not tolerable to think in a manner like this. This is not the way the Lord would have us to view people. You see, James warned against this centuries ago, yet in 2023, 
the church is still struggling with this same dilemma. <laughs> we look at people based on their outer appearance and we formulate assumptions about people. You know, the Bible is clear that sometimes we may not realize it, but we are entertaining angels. So just because a person looks a certain way, there's so many people that, 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 that are, are, are homeless that I've come in contact with and I've had solid conversations about Jesus Christ where I sense in my spirit, I try their spirit, I sense it, and it's like they're not talking nonsense. They understand sound doctrine. They understand that Jesus is the only way. Now, I've also met a bunch of homeless people that were off their rocker and kind of get away from those people a little bit. But based on someone's appearance doesn't necessarily mean that we can assume that they are a certain way. When you think about this, this is interesting to me, and, and some of you that are, are older uh, would know this probably far uh, better than myself, but there are some denominations within the Christian faith, mainline Christianity, where the more you give monthly, or the more you give annually to the ministry, they will grant you some sort of plaque, on the wall, <laughs> or your own personal nameplate upon a certain seat in a certain pew. Now, this is this has gone on, and that that that's 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 abominable. That's not right. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. What are we doing? Uh, broadcasting what we give financially to the Lord's work. Why do we esteem people who seem to give more worldly measures of wealth to the church house than others? You see, man's ways are one ways and one way, excuse me, and God's ways are a complete different way. His ways are not our ways. He doesn't see like we see. That's completely worldly and anti-Christian. That's anti-Christ. Instead, we are to emulate our Messiah, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, and show no partiality towards those with worldly wealth versus those who don't have much at all. 1 Samuel chapter 16, uh, verse 7, this is obviously speaking about uh, Jesse's sons, and as Samuel goes in and, 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 he, and he tells Jesse, present your, your sons so that one of them may be uh, the next king of Israel. And all of them came out, tall, strong, handsome looking. And the Lord kept telling Samuel, no, 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 no. Finally, we all know the story. We all know the account well. The runt, David. <laughs> Jesse brings out his last boy. But the, the scripture says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him for." The Lord sees not as man sees. Man sees on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You see, that's what it always comes down to, church. It's the heart of the person. It's the, it's the inner being of the person. It's the, it's the thing that makes up who they really truly are. That's what God is so concerned about with you and me. And that's how he wants us to operate our judgment based on the heart he wants us to view individuals as he does with the viewing of the heart 
The church needs to be those who will receive any who come seeking the Messiah with open arms. We should not be partial to anyone. If anyone comes through these doors and they want to receive Jesus or they're, they're curious, we should receive them all in the same manner in love. It should never matter what they look like or how much money they possess. This is a this is a the thing that the Lord has put on my heart for a long time, and maybe it, it may be um, you know due to the fact that we are a small congregation. But you don't hear me ever talk about offering <laughs> or giving. <laughs> I don't say, oh, you know, it's offering time, and I get it, I get it, you know. But you know what? It's a thing that is. What I believe is very personal between you and the Lord. And that's one thing. It's not COVID. It's just we kind of stopped doing ushers in that sense because, you know, it's not about having a bag passed. Maybe someone puts something in and maybe someone else doesn't have nothing to put in. And the person that doesn't have something to put in that bag, they feel discouraged. Or they feel, feel belittled because they don't have nothing to give. Or maybe the person that does give, they get, they get boasted up in their, own, in their own heart because they think, well, look, I gave, you know. You go back there to that little, whatever that is, <laughs> the little thing with the red cloth on it, and you go in your own time between you and the Lord, and you give as you see fit. My belief is truly, if the Lord wants to keep this church open, he's going to provide. If he's going to shut this church down, he's going to shut it down. I don't care if there's 500 people in here or 50 people or five. It is what it is. The Lord's going to sustain his church. And when he's done with this resilient life church, and if we're not teaching the truth, and if people aren't growing spiritually, and if people are not growing in their and maturing in their faith, then he's going to move people along. And that's what it is. So um, that's just a side note. But that's what I truly believe. And I'm sensing the Lord in that. And that's why we don't we don't we don't talk about uh, offering in that manner. We don't bring it up like that. I know it's biblical, but there are things that are personal between the individual and the Lord. And I do believe the giving is such, so such emphasis on money, you know, where it's like, do we need to spend that much time talking about it? All right. The second main point is this. God has chosen those who are poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of his kingdom. We just talked about in the culture of these early Christians, it would be perfectly normal to give a wealthy person, a wealthy man actually specifically because they didn't look at women as wealthy and they weren't able to obtain wealth in, in, in those days. But to give a wealthy man a place of honor at a gathering, that was perfectly normal. That was the, that was the rule, not necessarily the exception. It would be the same thing to expect a poor, dirty man to stand in the corner or go sit down in the floor somewhere far off. James is telling us that our belief in Jesus Christ should change the way we look and think about everyone. We must not let the prejudice of culture or the allure of money to determine our standards. You see, showing favoritism to the rich over the poor reveals that we really don't trust what we claim to believe. You see, James makes his point with a very specific question. He says, hasn't God chosen those who are poor in this life to be rich in faith and to receive his kingdom forever? Isn't that the promise he makes to those who love him? If you love me, you inherit my kingdom. You inherit me. You inherit everything that I have to offer you. Uh, the, the Bible says, 
Eye has not seen, ear has not heard what the Lord has in store for those who love them, you know, who who love him, excuse me. So that means we can't even fathom the majesty of what heaven is going to be like, what about eternity is going to be like with him. He says that he, he, he has a place set before you there where it's like a mansion. <laughs> There'll be room enough. You know, I think whether you're going to be in, 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 in row five or row 5005, you're going to be content with where you are in heaven because he has a perfect place set for you. And again, it's not based on our thinking, right? When we go to a concert or when we go to a football game or a soccer game or a baseball game, we want those front row seats. We want to be right there in the front so we can see all the action. And then we call the ones that are cheap the nosebleeds. <laughs> the nosebleeds. You're going up, you're going up halfway up. You think you're going to, you, you, you're having a vertigo attack and you can't even make it up. Your balance is all messed up. These narrow stairs and you got to go climb all the way up and heaven forbid you got to go to the bathroom. Because then you gotta, you got to squeeze through everybody. And then you got to get down the stairs. But the point I'm trying to make is, in heaven, it's not going to be like that. There is no nosebleed seat. You know? Just the fact that you're there. <laughs> and that you're not apart from the Lord Jesus Christ for eternity. That's enough to praise hallelujah for him for eternity. And just grateful and thankful. And you get to reap the benefits of an unhindered relationship, unhindered by sin or guilt or shame. And you have complete access with him for eternity. That is a wonderful thing. That is a beautiful thing. Every true Christian should answer yes to this, that we should not be partial to anyone. That's what we need to believe. Why don't we treat poor Christians with the same respect, honor, and attention we give to the wealthy ones? Well, because sin. <laughs> because, because we have this, this ingrained sin nature that has to get gutted out of us daily, right? And we have to die to that old Adam, that first Adam, that, that carnal man or woman that thinks in a certain way. And, and we need to think in, 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 in a biblical way, in a spiritually sound way, in a holy way. Genesis chapter 29 verse 30 tells us, So Jacob went into Rachel also, and indeed he loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban for another seven years. We all know the account of this. Way back in the day, you know. <laughs> Jacob was a swindler. He, got, he finally got swindled. <laughs> Laban pulled a nasty, dirty trick on him. He loved Rachel. Everybody loved Rachel. She was beautiful on the, uh, on the outside, you know, and she had the physical favor. And then Leah was the one that was, you know, dim, <laughs> not that beautiful as, uh, you know, the eye would consider her. And Laban switched out his daughters. <laughs> and, you know, back then they didn't have electricity and the woman wore veils. So it was the wedding night. And I don't need to go into much more detail. You're sensible people. You understood what happened. And he ended up marrying Leah. But he wanted Rachel so bad. He wanted Rachel so bad. And so he stayed another seven years and he finally married Rachel. Now he has two wives. He's so only supposed to have one. <laughs> now he's got two. And worse than now he worse than the fact that he has two, he's partial to one. We all know the story. Leah gave birth to a lot of children. <laughs> 
Rachel gave birth to, to one. <laughs> he loved, he loved, he loved Joseph. To the point where he showed so much favoritism to this one son that all the other brothers hated Joseph. Wanted to kill him. One brother spoke up and said, nah, let's not kill him. It's not the right thing to do. Okay, we'll, let, we'll not kill him. We'll sell him as a slave to, the, to these traitors. <laughs> Threw him in a pit. You can see what happens from partiality. Bad things occur when we are partial. Any of us that are our are, are parents or, 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 or grandparents or, or uncles or aunts, we understand this as well. Do not show partiality to your children. That doesn't necessarily mean that just because Jimmy Bob got the Tonka truck that Susie Q needs a Tonka truck or, you know, strawberry shortcake doll, too. But what it means is in the sense of how we engage with them, how we treat them, how we come across as, you know, showing love and and, and the premise of of giving them what they need from us. There should be no partiality. Our children, our grandchildren, they should all sense that man papa and grandma they love me the same i don't i can't tell the difference between the two they don't love my cousins more than me they don't love my my sister more than they love me and that's what we see here no partiality the third main point is this many times it is the rich of this world who oppress the poor and blaspheme god notice that i said many times i in no way shape or form am making Every person that is wealthy with material, physical wealth in this world out to be a tyrant. That is not the case. There are plenty of people that have worldly wealth that are good, God-fearing people. And they steward the wealth that they've been entrusted uh, to or with. And they do it in a good way. But what I'm talking about is those who do not do that. And the reality is there's nothing new under the sun. Common sense will show you that the rich of this world many times are guilty of oppressing the poor. I mean, just look. <laughs> you, you don't need to, to have a, a PhD in discerning to understand this. Many times the rich and the wealthy, they oppress the poor. Many times their Lord is their status and their influence. And they lord that over people that don't have much. You know, the crazy thing is, even within wealthy circles themselves, right? Wealthy circles, people in the sphere of influence that they, they chum it, they chum up with people that are wealthy, right? They hobschnob with people that are like-minded. Even within their own wealthy circles, you can find them treating each other the same way. It's a horrible and terrible cycle of the blind leading the blind. And as we look back in at the context of of when this book was written, to give the rich special treatment makes no sense. As a group, the rich of the first century treated Christians very badly. The Christians of the first century were treated extremely poorly. We don't know all the specific circumstances James is referring to here, but it seems clear that most of James' readers and most Christians of this time were poor people. They did not have much as far as the world is considered. They were poor in a material wealth. They lived in a society where the wealthier, well, the wealth, excuse me, became wealthier and more powerful. They often did so in part by using their money to influence the courts, 
to in, in, influence the judge uh, in order to gain land that wasn't theirs. They would use their riches to force the poor to work the land, often under horrible conditions. Does any of this sound familiar? <laughs> do, do, do the rich of this world, many of them, do they not persuade the courts, right? Do, 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 they, do, they, not, do they not pay meager wages for people to do backbreaking work, slaving almost as it was, to, to, to earn a, a, a day's wage? Again, not every rich person in James' era was guilty of all these things. And like I said just a minute ago, not every rich person in 2023 are guilty of such abuses. In this particular time and place, however, James writes that the rich had been guilty of oppressing and exploiting the poor. The rich have been guilty of taking them to court, abusing them, and taking advantage of them. This makes the force of James's point about favoritism clear, both spiritually and practically. You see, it's foolish for us as Christians to give preferential treatment to the rich in the hopes of getting better treatment from them when the rich are the ones that are doing all the mistreatment. It, it doesn't do us any good. It, it's like either way you, you cut it, it doesn't work. Like the old saying, six in one, half a dozen in the other. Does it really even make sense? It's senseless to do so. All right, let's go ahead and break these verses down a little more in depth. So the, so the first verse, which is very important, there's a lot of doctrine in this. It says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Okay, so the glorious faith we have as believers, right? The faith, our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ should never be associated with partiality or um, <clears throat> any kind of discrimination. It just should not be. The Lord of glory himself shows no partiality, so neither should those who put their trust in him. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17 tells us, For the Lord your God is God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. Clear, cut, straightforward. Not much need to, to talk more about that, right? Acts chapter 10, verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. That's when uh, the, 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 the image came down. It's like, you know, the, the, the blanket and then all of the different, um, you know, the different animals get up and eat Peter, right? It's not about being kosher and non-kosher at the end of the day. God has made everything clean. If he's made it clean, it's clean. He shows no partiality. Speaking of the Jew and the Gentile, the Jew always first, but also the Gentile has the same opportunity to be saved. The application is this. No form of partiality should ever be acceptable within the body of Christ. We are the church. We are the ones who have been set apart we are to walk in a holy fashion. We are to walk in a way that is contrary to the word, uh, the world, excuse me, not the word. And so we are not to be partial to anyone for any reason. Um, racism, you know, it should not even exist within the church. It's interesting because the Bible is clear that there is only one race, <laughs> the human race, and yet We've gone off on this tangent for centuries. And if he, I, I, I can't stand when I hear people say, oh, you know, this and that about, you know, the white man in Europe enslaved the, 
the, the people of Africa. Well, last I checked, where's Egypt? Egypt is where? In North Africa, is that correct? In Northern Africa, right? The Egyptians enslaved their own people. So black people were enslaving black people way before white people were enslaving black people. The whole thing about black and white, we bought into that con and, and numerous um, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people have died over race relations when the reality is we are all the same in the sense we're all human beings. Now, within the human race exist different cultures and ethnicities, but there is only one race. There is only one race. It is the human race. Think about it like this. I, I, like to, I like to look at it this way. Cookies, right? Cookies. You got chocolate chip cookies. You got snickerdoodle cookies. You got butter cookies, if you like butter cookies. You got sugar cookies, if you like sugar cookies. You got oatmeal raisin cookies, if you like oatmeal raisin. You name it. But they are all still cookies at the end of the day. <laughs> They're just different variations, different flavors. An example, um, you know, um, you know, I briefly, uh, you know, we checked in with Lou last week and it came up, you know, but denominations, denominations can be very dangerous because I believe that they are man-made. I don't see denominations in the Bible. No black church, all white church, all Asian church, all Mexican church. It's like, Really? When I get to heaven, I doubt there's going to be some segregation of where I'm, I'm, gonna not, I'm only going to be around. I'm mixed. What are you going to do when, you're, when your mom's Filipino and Portuguese? What are you going to do when your dad is, you know what I'm saying, uh, black and Native American? What? I, 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 I don't fit in that. But then you look at Christ, and he was 100% God and 100% man, so I guess he understood. Because he wasn't accepted. <laughs> do, do we really think that there's going to be all of this segregation? No, we're going to worship the one true God. It don't matter what you look like. What brings us together is the blood of Jesus Christ, is the redemptive work of Jesus upon that tree that he laid his life down. That's what's the great equalizer. And it shouldn't matter. So we, we as the church, we should not buy into this con. And I don't want to get into political stuff, but there's so much out there that if you're not aware of the solid doctrine of the truth of the Bible, you're going to subscribe to things and support stuff like Black Lives Matter and the LGBTQ movement, and that is not okay. <laughs> People are fighting for the injustices, but the wrath of man never produces the righteousness of God. You know, even when you march in unity, in peace, when you get a mob of people together, you begin to harness and feed a mass mob mentality. And people... When I see these people, they're yelling, they're screaming, their faces don't look nice. <laughs> they look like they're full of anger and hurt and pain. And as we learned last week, angry words lead to angry actions. That's why the Bible says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. But these people marching and doing all this stuff, they're not quick to listen they're, 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 they're quick to talk. <laughs> they're quick to voice their opinion. They, they so want to be heard. They so want to make a dent that they're willing to go about it in a way that's ungodly. May it not be so with the church. Amen? 
The next verse, James uses strong words to refer to Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. In the Christian faith, more explicitly, the belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the divine glory. He is divine glory. It is him. This is a term of Christ as the full manifestation of the divine presence and majesty of God. The Jews would call this the Shekinah. I love that word. The Shekinah glory. <laughs> and this is, this is the revealed nature of, of, of God to man. You see, understanding the context and the setting of this book is especially significant because James is widely regarded as one of the first letters of the New Testament, written somewhere between A.D. 44 and 88. This means that the earliest Christians considered Jesus Christ to be God, and they said it so strong in an unmistakable way. A question for us today. Do we proclaim Jesus Christ as the Messiah to others in the same way? Like unwavering in our faith. Because there is an there unclean doctrine that's sweeping through a lot of churches nowadays. And they, they talk about that, that they're New Testament Christians. They're New Testament Christians. They don't, they don't believe in the Old Testament. They say uh, the Old Testament God is a God of wrath and judgment. <laughs> but, but you see, God is, is, is the same. He, 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 he is two sides of the same coin. We don't serve two different gods. That's unbiblical. God is the same in the Old Testament as he is in the New. And so we have to be sure, church, of who we serve. And if we proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah, we must do so with unwavering conviction. And then we, next we see this statement with partiality or without. We must remember that James wrote to a very particular age filled with prejudice and hatred, right? There was a lot of this going on back then based on class, people's ethnicity, their nationality, and their religious background. People did not agree on all sorts of things. They had so much dividing them. In the ancient world, people were routinely and permanently categorized because they were either Jew or Gentile, slave or free, rich or poor, Greek or barbarian. It's interesting nowadays that we want to include everyone in everything. We think we've made such strides as a, 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 you know, a society because we're all about inclusion. I know you guys have heard that word. At my work, we have this big sign up and it says all these things and it says inclusion and it's got all these you know, shades of brown and tan. And <laughs> you know, just trying to say, oh, you're all included. We include you all. But it's interesting because the inclusion that the world culture is promoting says no one can do no wrong and everyone has a voice that matters. Isn't that what they're saying? Everybody has a voice. Voice your, 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 you can have a voice, have a voice. We're all encouraging you to speak your mind. But you see, we have to be aware because even though it sounds well intended, it's fleshly and demonic at best. The world looks to put everyone on a level playing ground, not to edify one another in righteousness, but rather so everyone can do as they please and there is no longer a standard of authority or truth. That is the true reason behind this whole inclusion thing. It's so people can do whatever they want. 
and nobody can speak into my life and tell me you are incorrect. That is wrong. That is sin. That's why they took the Ten Commandments out of the courthouses. That's why they've taken prayer out of the schools. Just think about it. You're sensible people. With, with, with the agenda to teach little children about sex ed at the youngest age of, of fifth grade and second grade. That is disgusting. Telling these children, you can take medicine. Young girls, you can take medicine to stop the hormonal process of your body. So you can determine if you want to be a boy or not. Because you just don't know. Maybe you're a boy inside. Is that not sick and demonic? (laughs) Is that not totally off base? God does not make mistakes. He creates people, every single one, as he sees fit. Even if we, God bless you, even if we try to physiologically change our anatomy, you cannot change what God made you to be. A man cannot give birth to a baby. And I don't even want to get into it. It's a whole other thing. You go to Romans chapter 1 and read all about it. But the whole homosexual thing is we're being given over to the wrath of God. Because his judgment is, you want to have a debased mind? I'm going to give you over to the most abominable thing you could do is have sex with your, your, your same line that's not correct, that doesn't create life. And Satan's all about that because he wants to desecrate God in any way he can. Well, Jesus, on the other hand, his stance on not being partial puts everyone at the same starting point. That's that's Jesus. (laughs) Him being not partial has nothing to do with letting people do whatever they want. It has everything to do with putting everyone at the same place. We're all equal under the foot of the cross. You see, beginning with the Jew first and then the Gentiles. The Bible says that through Adam, the first Adam, The whole human race fell into sin because Adam was the humankind's representative and he chose wrong. He was given free will and he chose the wrong thing. And the whole human race fell into sin because of Adam's choice. We are all sinners. We we have all transgressed and we all deserve to face God's wrath. For the Jew first, because the Jew were given the law, the Ten Commandments, they broke the Ten Commandments. So that causes them to be guilty before the true and holy God. And then for us who are Gentiles, who sin against our own consciences, right? We know the truth. The Bible, go back to the book of Romans. It says his, his invisible attributes are on display in a flower, in a worm, in a grasshopper, in a dog, in the moon, in the sky, in the stars, in the, and the mountains, and the seas. It's all there. But yet we choose to go our own way and we have gone against and sinned against our own conscience. And that makes us just as guilty as the Jewish people. But the good news is that we can be saved by the finished work of Jesus Christ. We must know the difference between the world's definition of non-partiality and the Bible's definition or we will be deceived. A significant aspect of the work of Jesus was to break down these walls that divided humanity and to bring forth one new race of mankind to himself. And we find that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. I'll go ahead and read it. And And it says, excuse me, For he himself is our peace, 
who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of, of uh, <clears throat> commandments expressed in, ordinance, in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. You see, it's all about it all. The whole end all be all is Jesus Christ and finding our hope in him. And that's the whole thing. Everything else. If it's, non, if it's a non-salvational issue, it doesn't matter. But that is the most important thing. That is the key. Do we find our fulfillment? Do we find our wholeness in Christ alone? And if we do, then we'll see as we continue to walk with the Lord that partiality plays no place in our walk with the Lord. The unity and openness of the early church was shocking to the ancient world. They were receiving all kinds of people. Think about Jesus. And as he walked with his disciples, the, the, the woman with the issue of blood what are you doing? I mean, I don't think, I don't know for a minute if they would have thought any more lighter of her if she was, you know, anyone different. But the fact that she was doing that, they, they, they're like, what are you doing? Why are you allowing her? Um, the, the Samaritan woman at the well, how could you, how could you talk to her? <laughs> you know who she is. She's a Samaritan. She's a dog. We don't engage with those people. But Ju- Jesus, he said, I, I, I came for the sick. For all these people, tax collectors, you know, um, prostitutes, sinners, wicked men. But he came and, and he showed no partiality. And this is just how the early church was. It was shocking to the ancient world. How could they bring these people in and be okay with it? But you see, this unity didn't come automatically. As this command from Jesus shows, the apostles had to teach the early church to never hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ with partiality. So too today we must remember and never allow our partiality to creep into our hearts. I think that's a good barometer to see what's going on within the church house. You just take a look around and it's like, okay, it's diverse. And not diverse in the way the world is, is, is embracing diversity, but the fact that we are, are, are open to any person to come in, you know, anybody, you know, we, we never, uh, how can I say, we never excuse the sin, but, but we shouldn't allow partiality to stop people from coming to, to, to find hope in Jesus. Because as it is said, and it is true, the, 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 the church house is, is the hospital. It's a spiritual hospital. People that come here aren't going to have it all together. They shouldn't. They're going to be messed up. You know, I remember the first times I was stepping into the church house. I was all tore up. If people would have said, oh, get away from me. <laughs> I wouldn't be by this dude, man. I wouldn't be where I am today. I wouldn't be saved. But I had men from every different walk of life. I, I mean, I think I was probably telling, I probably told this to you before, Eric. But it's like, you know, the people I kick it with nowadays, it's like, people, What? But it's not about that. It's not about what people look like. It's not about their background. It's about the fact that we share the same Holy Spirit. We have the same desire that we want to honor the Lord. And that's how it should be. People should never feel ostracized when they come to the church house. You know, they should feel love. Just the same way I want people to come here. And if you're not living right. I want the conviction of the Lord to fall upon you so hard that you got to do business with them before you leave this building. In that same way, I want you to feel the love of Christ in such a way that you're like, I know that the presence of God is here because God's people are here and the Holy Spirit is here. That's how it should be, church. Amen.
All right, next couple of verses. It says, uh, start uh, going on and continuing on in verse 2 to 4. It says, For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You <laughs> sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, Whew, you stand over there <laughs> or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Okay, so it says, if there should be someone who comes into your assembly. Just a quick, this is a side note, but it's important for us to understand. In the ancient Greek, the word assembly is literally synagogue. And we know that the synagogue was the meeting place of the Jews. The fact that James calls a Christian meeting place a synagogue shows that he wrote before Gentiles were widely received into the church. At the time James wrote, most of all Christians came from a Jewish heritage. This is the only place in the New Testament where an assembly of Christians is clearly called a synagogue. Christians back then had no uh, you know, formal building like this, right? So their meeting place was usually being some kind of large room or home, and some um, one who obviously had some form of wealth or money would you know, uh, allow them to rent this place or, or to come into their home or hall uh, for this higher purpose. And outsiders were free to come to services and attend. It's very interesting because it, as you look at Jew and Gentile, and, and, and you know the scripture says that we're grafted in to the family of God. And so we are considered spiritual Israel in the sense that a true, the true Jew is not the one who is a Jew by namesake only or by bloodline, but the true Jew is the person who follows and obeys the ordinances and the teachings of Jesus Christ. That's who the true Jewish person is. And that's, it makes perfect sense when you look at that and you see and understand about how this assembly was translated to the word synagogue back then. Very cool. Nice, cool little nuggets. We are to welcome people into the church house, but we are to welcome them without snobbery. And then we go on and we see uh, the scripture talks about a man with gold rings. Gold rings. This was a way of showing uh, 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 authority in, in the world at that time or show uh, it was a symbol of wealth. In Roman society, the wealthy wore rings on their left hand. You see a sign of wealth. Rings were worn so they could be visibly seen. And, you know, for me, I, I think of like uh, the 1980s. And, and, and the rap scene, you know, I think of like Run DMC, Biz Marquee, you know, they run around with these big old four finger rings, right? They look like brass knuckles, but instead of brass knuckles, they're gold rings. It's like that. They're just, they're flaunting, right? It, it, it's a show of, I have wealth. I have some kind of stature. I'm important because I have this, right? It's interesting when you look at Satan and as he was created, he was adorned with every precious stone, and you look at rappers nowadays, well, rappers back then too, but it's interesting how you still see, oh man, I want a mouthful of diamonds. I want diamonds in my ears. I want diamonds on my neck. I want diamonds everywhere. People pierce their cheeks with diamonds now. It's crazy. <laughs> one of our, one of our, one of, one of my, oh, I don't want to say it, but anyways, you know, it's just crazy. It's like, why well, didn't know you could pierce that? But why is it? That we are, and I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with jewelry, right? I'm just talking about like the, oh, I mean, man, these rappers nowadays, man, they got like, they got like 10 diamond, you know, necklaces on. 
princess cut. I mean, it's just you're looking like a chandelier running around. What is that? Hey, look at Satan. Now, are they getting their tips from him? It's like, why are we infatuated with that, right? It's because we're seeking after the lust of the eye, <laughs> the pride of life, the things of this world, the things that are, that are going to fade away. Our focus is wrong. Back then, there were even shops in Rome where rings could be rented for special occasions. So we could just, we could just front and be like, <laughs> I'll front for the day. And, I'll, and we'd still do it, right? People rent jewelry. A lot of these uh, you know, wealthy uh, you know, uh, musicians and a lot of actors, they go on the red carpet. A lot of times they're not wearing, they don't own that. They just rent it. <laughs> or they're wearing the fake stuff that nowadays they can make it look so real that no one can tell the difference. They can even pass the light test and all that nonsense. But it's like, again, this whole idea, again, you know, Solomon was wise. He was the wisest man. There is nothing new under the sun. We're just a little more sophisticated in how we do it, and we do it on a smartphone. But it's still the same concept. You know, we're, we're, we're caught up in this idea of esteeming ourselves and making ourselves look a certain way to everybody else. Okay, next we see that a, a, a poor person comes in. You got the rich person, you got, you know, whatever. Dude with bling bling all in his mouth, and then you got this poor person who, who doesn't even have a clean pair of pants on that comes in. This poor person, or even a beggar, may come in as well. And then we go on and it says, Have we not shown part, if we show partiality amongst ourselves, have we not become judges? With evil thoughts, the application is this. If we favor the rich person over the poor person in the way James describes, shows a deep carnality among ourselves. It says that our evil thoughts are evident by our partial actions. If we treat people with partiality, we're revealing the evil that's within our own hearts. We shouldn't be that way, church. We should be those that love every person. And want to see every person succeed in Christ. And want to see everyone benefit from uh, the teachings of Jesus. And want to see everyone come to repentance. Whether someone is rich or poor, black or white, Jew or Gentile, to show partiality shows that we care more for the outward appearance than we do about the heart. It's like, you know, back in the day, um, you know, maybe it happened to you in junior high. Maybe it happened to you in high school. Maybe it didn't happen at all. But I know I've had accounts of, you know, you have one set of friends. You know, they're cool cats. And you got some other friends. And then maybe they're not, they don't, they don't look so cool. Or they're not so hip. And then, you know, sometimes people go through this dilemma. And it's like, you're friends with both people. And then the nerdy person comes up and they ask you, or, you know, you made plans with them. And they're like, hey, man, are we going to hang out today? And you're with all the cool people. And then some people tuck tail. And they, they don't want, they want to act like they don't know the, the nerdy person. Because why? They're ashamed. They're embarrassed. Because they're being partial. They're playing the game, <laughs> so to speak. We shouldn't be that way, church. We should be able to be the same around everybody and not feel ashamed and be like, no, nah, it's all, he's cool. Nothing wrong with him. Just because he don't look like you, just because you don't smoke weed, just because he ain't drinking, <laughs> doesn't mean that he's not, you know, he's actually better because <laughs> he's wise. He's not filling his life with all kind of junk that's going to intoxicate him and mess him up. But you see, we struggle with this as people, especially we struggle if we don't have the Holy Spirit. But for us as the church, may it not be so that we are partial. Again, for the Lord does not see as man sees, for, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God looks at the heart and so do we. Remember the account of the, middles, the widow's might? Remember that account? 
what was considered less than a denarii, so such a small amount as far as worldly wealth is concerned. Yet the Lord says she gave more than all those wealthy people who were dropping all kind of gold coins in the offering. Why? Because it was a heart condition. It wasn't done for pomp. It wasn't done for show. It wasn't done for a religious exercise. It was done out of the the, the empathy in her heart that she had for her, not only her situation, but most importantly for the Lord. She gave what she could. And that's the same thing with us. It should be the heart of the matter in how we give and what we do, not in the amount. It's not about the amount. You can give a whole lot, but if it's given in the wrong manner, it's the Lord doesn't see that as a blessing. He doesn't see that as an offering. He sees it as it's just for show. You see, again, to show partiality is to show we misunderstand who is important and blessed in the sight of the Lord. When we assume that the rich man is more important to God or more blessed by God, we put too much value on material riches. To show partiality shows a selfish streak in us. Usually people favor a rich man over a poor person because they think they can get more out of the rich person, right? That's just like circles. It's like everybody's cool with you when you got money. I've been there, done that. Everybody's cool with you when you're doing something and you got this and that and you're rolling. We're rolling. (laughs) My ride's clean. We're rolling. (laughs) And then you get your DUIs. Ain't nobody coming around no more. Dude ain't got no license. What? You're not doing anything? Nah. And that's what it is. We come around or people come around when you have something. When you don't got much, they don't come around. The scriptures are clear. This is completely a wrong way of thinking. Think about the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5 verse 3 tells us, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor. Those who understand their desperate need for Jesus Christ. Those who are the ones who will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Isaiah chapter 66 verse 2. Has not my hand made all of these? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. This is the one I will esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit who trembles at my word. Again, we see this. Uh, we, we can't get away from this, this concept of the fear of the Lord. When we humble ourselves and when we have a, a, a humble fear of God, he will esteem us. The point is that both the poor and the rich are e- on equal ground before the Lord God Almighty, before El Shaddai. There's no, there's no one up for any person. We are all guilty before a holy God. We are in desperate need of repentance and the washing away of our sin. We are all need in need of salvation. This fact alone should be firm in our hearts and minds as followers of Jesus, not to show partiality to anyone for any reason. Okay, last two verses. Listen, my beloved brethren, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you And the ones who drag you into court, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? So, even though it is easy for man to be partial to the rich, God is not partial. (laughs) He's not partial. He doesn't love the rich more than he loves anybody else. In fact, since riches are an obstacle 
into the kingdom of God, there is a sense in which God especially blesses the poor of this world. We can find this in Matthew chapter 19, verse 24. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The application is this. The poor are chosen to be rich in faith because the poor of this world simply have more opportunity to trust God. What do I mean by that? Well, when you're wealthy, by, in, the, in the means of, of, of worldly wealth, it's so much easy to just throw money at all your problems, right? Because money can take care of a lot. But when you're poor, it's like, I don't got money to throw at my problems. Lord, if you don't come through. <laughs> Lord, if you don't redeem me, if you don't set aside something, if you don't make a way, Lord, I got nothing. But when you're wealthy, it's easy to just, man, I'm, I just throw money at it. And it's not a problem. And it's like, why do I need God? Do you see my bank account? Do you see my house? Do you see the career I have? It has been said, the rich man may trust in God, but the poor man must. The poor man has no fortress in which to hide except the two strong arms of God. This seems to refer to Matthew chapter 11, verse 15, and it says, The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. These believed on the Lord Jesus and found his salvation, while the rich despised, neglected, and persecuted him. And then we see this statement, Has God not chosen The poor are chosen in the sense that the poor more readily respond to God in faith, having fewer obstacles to the kingdom. Again, when you have so much worldly wealth, I mean, your your, your attention can be more easily divided because you have so many distractions around. Staying up up at night, stressed out on, on your earnings and what's going on with your money and this and that. It's like a rich person really don't sleep soundly unless they're saved. If they're not saved, for sure, they're stressed out. You know, they're worried about the NASDAQ and this and that and blah, 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 blah. And what's going on with China over here and the oil and the blah, blah, blah. And the, and the you know, and, and oh, a shortage of it's going to be a bread shortage. <laughs> Get some yeast, people. <laughs> Make your own bread at home. Church history demonstrates that more poor people than rich people have responded to the gospel. That's just a fact. That's just a fact. The application is this. When we choose people by what we can see on the surface, we miss the mind and the heart of God. Remember, remember that Judas appeared to me to be a much more, a better leader in material things than Peter. Remember that. That's how it started out. And clearly we see how the two turned out. <laughs> you know, you know, uh, you know, Peter was martyred for his faith. He died an honorable death while Judas hung himself. Because he sold out Christ. You know, so we clearly see the difference. And then just look at Jesus himself. God has chosen the poor in the sense that when he added humanity to his deity and came to earth, he came in poverty. He didn't come rich. He came in poverty. And and the reality is there's nothing that people dread more than poverty. We don't want to be poor. (laughs) And, and, And for good reason. Nobody wants to be poor, you know. You want to have enough to sustain yourself. But outside of that, we shouldn't be striving to obtain worldly wealth. You see, people do all they can to get rich, to square away worldly wealth. In our Western culture, we are preoccupied with worldly wealth. 
Think about this. When athletes get paid millions upon millions of dollars just to play a sport, while our teachers who are with our children eight hours of the day get paid peanuts. I mean, again, it doesn't take a rocket science to look at the two. There is a great discrepancy there. What are we saying is important? Throw that pigskin, throw that baseball, kick that soccer ball, (laughs) you know. But it's like, you know, don't worry about your intellect. Don't worry about your moral decisions. We're just going to have people teaching your children that they're probably doing wrong things and teaching wrong. Get some good teachers in there. But we're all, we're all, we all got it all mixed up. Think about it this way. Jesus had one opportunity to only live this life in our time, right? And he chose to be born to parents that were too poor to present more than two doves being presented in the, in the temple. He didn't choose to come in royal splendor. Don't get me wrong, of course, God has not only chosen the poor, but yet we may say that he has chosen the poor first in the sense that what Paul spoke of, and I'll end with this, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 down through 31, and it says, For consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, not many of you were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. James reminds us that the rich often sin against them and oppress them. This is often because the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, as uh, Michelle and Isaiah come up. This reason alone, the rich are not only worthy of partiality, but they often show this. History shows that the rich can indeed oppress the poor. And lastly, it talks about the rich um, were being the ones that were blaspheming the name of Christ. Today, may we not be partial to anyone, but rather may we receive all the rich and the poor, black and white, Jew, Gentile, man, woman, with uncompromising truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for just the reminder of seeing people the way you see them, with having a heart for people the way you have a heart for those who are lost and those who are saved, that we would not show partiality. But Lord, may you help us to live a life that is balanced or that we are just giving love and walking in newness of life and walking in truth with those around us. And may you continue to help us to see and understand your mind and your heart that we could be those who would truly be called your followers, that we would be those who truly are called your church, and the body of Christ. Father, we thank you and we love you. We pray this all in your son Jesus Christ's wonderful name. Amen.